0: Good morning. If you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to turn with me in them to the book of Acts chapter 9. Acts 9. And of course we have our uh, festival alternative coming up uh, for the dreadful day of Halloween to offer the kids something good, something positive, something they're going to hear about Jesus and uh, prayerfully an outreach to our community. That's why we do that. And so we, we really like reaching out to people. Uh, Again, I believe the Holy Spirit's alive and well on the planet Earth, doing all kinds of amazing things. And we're going to look at that again this morning as we look at the conversion of Saul to Paul from a persecutor of the church to one of the greatest promoters of the church in the New Testament. And one of the things really amazing about Saul, when we look at him, everybody was scared of this guy. They believed that, I believe... They were, he's beyond any hope at all. But you know, prayer changes things. Let's pray. Fathers, we go to your word today. We just ask you that you would speak to us through it. That, Father, this wouldn't just be ink on paper, but, God, it would come alive by your Holy Spirit. Lord, you wrote it, so, Lord, cause it to change us. And, Lord, remind us of your great power. In Jesus' name, amen. This is where we come into Acts chapter 9. The church is growing. Jesus has ascended to heaven. And we know that there is enemies out there. There's enemies for you each day. There's enemies for me. There's enemies of the church. There's enemies, of course, uh, for the early church when it started. So Saul, breathing threats against the church on his way to Damascus. And he was going there to arrest women, Men, it didn't matter who it was. If you believed in Jesus, he was gunning for you. Well, what's amazing is we find here in verse 4, again, and this is review. He says, then he fell to the ground. As he journeyed, he came to, uh, close to Damascus. Suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, I want you to go to seminary for five years and learn all about the truth of who Jesus is. No, it doesn't say that, does it? Notice what it says. There was a sound. He fell to the ground. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the proddings of the Holy Spirit. What I look at this is an amazing thing here, friends. And a lot of us miss it. It's not in any Bible commentary that I found. Here, Jesus did not give Saul this hard murder, hardcore murder, a 15-page dialogue, a 900-page thesis. He just said, why are you persecuting me? Now, friends, I look at this really interestingly because a lot of times we think it takes some big thing to cause a person to change and accept Christ as Savior. But here we find in less than 20, less than 30 words Paul's whole life had changed. It wasn't in the multitude of speaking or words. It was simply that conviction of the Holy Spirit became real. I wonder, I wonder how many people around us each and every day are right where Saul was at in his life, and all it takes is someone like you and me to come along and say, hey buddy, by the way, Jesus loves you, and it changes their whole life. Oftentimes we think we have to convince somebody to accept Christ as their Savior when we fail to realize that the Holy Spirit has been working on them all along. This is one of the things that Jesus cited to Paul. It's hard for you to kick against the goads, the proddings of the Holy Spirit. God was after Saul for a long time. It just took the Lord to speak to him and say, why are you doing this? Why are you persecuting me? Friends, I think that a lot of times evangelism isn't as complicated as we make it. I think a lot of times it's simply just where the Holy Spirit is working on people and by divine, invisible Holy Spirit arranges these these um, supernatural meetings with people. And when we come to them and we just... Jesus loves you. Really? Oh, what do I need to do except the Lord? I mean, almost that much. I think a lot of times we are convinced that we've got to talk somebody into the gospel. You don't. The Holy Spirit is already the one that's done the work. All God wants from us is to just share the gospel, preach the gospel to every creature, realizing it is not your work, but it's God's Holy Spirit that's already done the work. All we do is hand out the invitations. Hey, by the way, would you like to come to heaven? I am really amazed when I look at the simplicity of the message in which converted Saul, the murderer, to Paul, the evangelist. It wasn't in thousands of words of dialogue. It was in less than 30 words. Paul's entire life changed. And I am convinced that a lot of times the devil wants to try to talk us into something that God isn't part of, such as this person just needs to know I love him. And rather than we think, well, I, 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 I'm not skilled enough to to share the Lord with anybody, or I, I'm not I'm not uh, eloquent enough, or I, I don't speak properly. God just says, Hey, as a matter of fact, buddy, Jesus loves you. And they accept the Lord. We find... Is this, is this an unusual circumstance in the Bible? No, we remember Matthew, the tax collector. Employed by the Roman government. He was an IRS man. Who We love them, don't we? Well, they weren't really loved in those days either. And he was sitting at the receipt of customs as you enter into the city. And he's sitting there and Jesus comes up again with a thousand page dialogue. Matthew, this is why you need to come and and be part of my disciples and be part of what I'm doing. No. Do you know what Jesus said? He walks up not with even a 30 word sermon like we get here. He goes up with two words. Follow me. And Matthew, Levi, the Bible says, dropped all of his stuff, probably put his robe on the chair and says, I'm out of here. Why is that? Why didn't he have to have a big, long dialogue? Because the Holy Spirit was already working. Do you know how many people we come in contact with every day that are so fed up with their lives, they can't hardly even get up the next day? Same old doldrum, just a coffin with the end kicked out. I'm in a rut. And they're just miserable. And somebody comes along and says follow me. I'm sure that probably Matthew Levi, certainly setting in the gate of the city, would have known who Jesus was, and I'm sure he did. But then gives that opportunity for him to follow him. And just the same offer that Jesus gave to Matthew Levi, he made to the rich young ruler now there's three things there he was rich he was young and he was a ruler he had people doing things for him he was rich most of that comes when you're older in life not this guy he was young he had it all he had the world by the tail and he said sell what you have give the money to the poor follow me but this time the guy went away sad because he was very wealthy And that's when Jesus said, how hard is it for a rich man to go into heaven? It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. Why did Jesus say that? Because people trust in their wealth. They trust in their friends. They trust in their their diplomas. They trust in their careers rather than in God. But there is a time in which it crosses a person's heart. This isn't what you need. You need a change in your life. I believe Saul was at that place. And Jesus spoke to him. And his entire world was turned upside down. So we find in verse 20. Speeding up here. That's what we covered last week. Verse 20. Immediately he preached Christ in the synagogues. That he is the son of God. That Jesus is. Is the Son of God now? Really quickly, the idea of Jesus being the Son of God, the Jehovah's Witnesses and several other different groups out there, diminish who Christ is because he's he claims to be the Son of God. But in those days, in the Hebrew understanding of who God was, to claim to be the Son of God was making yourself equal with God. As a matter of fact, if you go to John five. 18, 19, you'll find there that Jesus claimed to be the son of God and the Pharisees sought to kill him because he was claiming to be deity. He was claiming to be God. And so when someone says in the Bible that he was the son of God, that was claiming to be an equal with God and carried the death penalty. Again, whether you look at John 5, Eighteen and nineteen, or you go to uh, John eight, where Jesus said before Abraham was, "I am." John eight fifty nine says, and they picked up stones to stone him because he was claiming to be God. So it's very important. Uh, Saul, soon to be renamed Paul, was preaching this in the synagogues. And then all who heard him were amazed and saying, isn't this the guy that destroyed those who called on, who came, who called on uh, this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring bound, um, Christians literally to the chief priests? But Paul increased all the more in strength confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Wow, they were dumbfounded. Now remember, the old saying goes, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves me, just as I am. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. And he will change you. Now, we know that we do need to make changes in our life. Unfortunately, most of us don't have the strength to make the changes or continue in the changes. Thus, we have New Year's resolutions that are usually gone by February. Completely, we don't even think about them anymore. Yeah, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to stop eating Doritos, you know. I'm going to go on this health food thing. I'm going to eat only organically grown food, green, veggies, all those things. Hey, by the Super Bowl, (laughs) that's gone. Well, the point is, is this. We know we need to make supernatural changes in our life. We, We know we need to do some things different. I don't believe that any of us listening to this right now are at a point in our lives where God will not continue to desire to make changes in our life. People often think, well, yeah, you know, I, before I came to Christ, I was a, you know, I was a party or I was a drug dealer. I was doing this, I was doing that. You know, I was I was in the in crowd, you know, and then I got saved and now I'm not doing any of that stuff anymore. And God doesn't make any more changes in my life. Nope, that's not the case. God, I believe, is in much desire to change you continually, as when you came to Christ. I believe that he wants to continue to bring us to a new place in him. Now, a lot of times, as God does this, we find what we might call trials, or we might call a uh, uh, uh. Issues in our life that seem to be very uh, uncomfortable in our life. In fact, we almost find ourselves backsliding, if you know what I mean. Well, you know, God wanted me to do this. I don't want to do that. I'm doing my own thing now. And then we try to do it. We don't find any satisfaction in it. We come back to Christ. I, I really believe that God in his love refines us to what he wants us to be. And the faith, saints get this that I had yesterday in Christ, though wonderful, is not necessarily the faith I need in Christ today. In other words, the trial, the problem that you and me go through, shows us we need to mature, change, if you will, that continual change, to bring us into a deeper relationship with God today today. Because the challenges of today and tomorrow are going to be different than the challenges of yesterday. And I find sometimes my faith lacks in the trial that's before me. So God arranges circumstances to force me and you to grow up. In other words, because of the things we go through, it isn't because God doesn't love you. Well, God, if, if you're really there and you really love me, why am I going through this problem? That's not what God is saying. He's saying to meet the challenges of the days to come, you need to grow this way. Again, God will continue to change us. Now, it's noteworthy here that Paul not only was converted, but then the Bible says, and you'll notice this in verse 23. Now, after many days were passed, this many days was years. God led him to Arabia. And there the Holy Spirit ministered to Paul, caused Paul to understand more deeply the scriptures that he already knew. Having been schooled by Gamaliel, one of the leading rabbis, teachers of the day, Now he's able to connect the Jesus that he now knows to those Old Testament prophecies, and his life is changing. Why did his life need to change? Why does it say after many days? Because what was going to face Paul in the days to come were not the trials and the problems of days past. Case in point, when Paul accepted Christ as a Savior... He was the aggressor. He was the one that was going out arresting men and women and children and dragging them down to uh, Jerusalem so they could be tried and many times executed. Now that he's a believer, God is preparing him and showing him and teaching him these things that will face him because he's going to endure many hardships for the cause of Christ. Now, friends, in today's Christianity funky world, we're taught that we never need to see pain or sorrow or tears or or, or times of, of, of lack in our lives because I'm a king's kid. I deserve air-cointed glass. But the problem is, is that this is not our home. This is not our home. And the more I look at this world, I can say, amen. This is not my home. I look at the problems in the world. You've got Putin saber rattling about World War III and nuking cities. And people go, oh, the world's just going to keep going like it is. No, it's not. There's forces at work to bring the world under a one world order, and they got their pedal to the metal, friends. If by collapsing the economies of the world, including ours, Out of the ashes will emerge the new one world order and the one world currency and the Antichrist to rule over this crazy club. That's what the Bible says. I need to be prepared. You need to be prepared. But if I don't go through anything that causes me to dig in deeper with God, I will float on yesterday's Christianity and I won't mature in what God wants me to do today and the days to come. Paul was in line for a lot of persecutions. In fact, other places in the scripture, Paul talks about, he says, I was beaten. I spent a day and night in the deep. I was, I was in peril in the city. I was in peril in the wilderness. He didn't have any of these problems when he was persecuting the church. That came when he became a Christian. And the forces of the underworld in this world that were against him, by the way, against us become reality. Friends, we are not promised a cushy ride in this world. We are promised the Holy Spirit to carry out God's desire here on this earth until he calls us home. That's what the Bible says. Now some weeks, some years, I may have some good years and I've had years that are really hard and make me cry and things that I've gone through in my life. But I'll tell you one thing that I do know God prepares us for the days to come. When the Bible talks about Jesus said this, I know he's not much of an authority in the church anymore, but believe me, in the Bible he was. Jesus said, in this world, you will have persecution. Well, I don't like that verse. Let's just mark that out. No, it doesn't make it go away, does it? That means that I have to be willing to let God do what he wants to do in my life to prepare me, you, for the days to come. Now, friends, listen. You're going to need not only God's provision. You're going to need God's wisdom, discernment in the days to come. Have you ever run into somebody and say, well, I have the gift of discernment. I go, wow, you have one of the gifts the Bible never speaks of. There's no such thing as the gift of discernment. There's the gift of discerning of spirits, but discernment comes from studying God's Word. That's how you know what to accept. That's what you, how you know what to reject. When the Bible says, not all that say, uh, yes, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's not talking about people that are believers in Christ Jesus. That's talking about make-believers in Christ Jesus. And friends, there's a lot of make-believers out there. And you know, it's the trials that show us where our God is. The old saying goes, you won't realize that God is everything you need until you lose everything you have. I pray that God never has to bring any of us to that point. But I know this: that as I study the early church, and it's kind of, I believe, kind of a, what you call the wrap. You know, uh, you know, as you're, as you're down to the last, you know, two minutes uh, of, of your favorite football game, and you're coming up on the wrap. The score is uh, one point or so apart from each team, and, and, and you know, you're wondering, are they going to fumble the ball? Are they going to get it over the goal line? What, what's going to really happen? What's the rap? Who's going to win? I believe that we'll probably see a lot of the same things as the church began as it will be as Jesus prepares to take the church home. Not many days, after many days, it says, were passed. He was taught in literally for years on the backside of the wilderness where God spoke to him. Now... He comes back to Damascus. This is found in uh, Galatians 1.16 through uh, 18. You'll find where he, uh, the Lord led him out. He says, After many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Wow. <laughs> he, he was once the hunter, now he's the hunted. <laughs> Now, isn't this weird when you stop to think about it? Why didn't he just use his faith words and just walk right through the gate? You know what? This is what's called discernment and wisdom. Discernment, again, is found in studying the entirety of God's word. Now, we find many times in the Bible, God divinely delivered, as an example, Peter when he was in prison. He walked right out of the jail. Other times, that didn't happen. Why does that happen? Well, the words of Billy Graham, I don't know. I don't know either. But I know that God will be glorified if I'm willing to let him do what he wants to do. So their plot became known divinely to became known. Now, I've got to say this. When a plot becomes revealed to you, You need to make alternative decisions. I think this is important. There's one thing to not know that you got a bunch of people wanting to kill you, and you walk through the city, and they grab you and haul you off. But once you know the plot is there, that, according to Scripture, requires a different plan of attack or a different means to accomplish what you want to do. Paul needs to go. Saul needs to move on, as it says here. So what do they do? Well, the Bible tells us, verse 25, the disciples took him by night and let him down the wall in a large basket. Wow, this is the guy that was killing people. Now he's running for his life in baskets. By the way, baskets were used a lot in the Bible to protect people, whether it would be for the grain whether it be baby Moses lined with pitch as the little boat flowed down in front of Pharaoh's daughter that saw little baby Moses in the basket. Now we find Saul being let down in the basket on the other side of the wall so he didn't have to go through the gates of the city. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem... He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe he was a disciple. They thought he went undercover. He was pretending to be one of them, really a traitor, find out their secret, find out their hideout. And they all said, no, 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 no. We're scared of you. Now, this is after years. They were still scared of this guy. He had developed quite a reputation. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So when he was with them at Jerusalem, he was with them in his coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists and they attempted to kill him. By the way, you find Paul continually being tried to be killed. God prepared him for what was to come. Now, really quick, Barnabas is a guy named Barnabas. His name means son of consolation. In other words, uh, one that brings people together. There was a guy like Barnabas, that everybody was scared of Saul and so he became the mediator. Oh, we need more of those, don't we, today in this world? We need more Barnabases, more of those that go between. Well, You know, the thing is, where, where did we learn that? Well, the Bible says there's one uh, uh, mediator between God and men, and that's Christ Jesus. What, what does a mediator do? He reconciles the situation. And and we're all sinners, and yet we have a holy God, but Jesus forgave our sins and reconciles us to the Father. See, see, we learn that from God, to be a person that brings peace, not a gossip that destroys relationships. Big difference. You know, that's what you want. When you're in trouble, you want somebody that's going to fix your problem. Remember when you were in trouble in school and you needed somebody to step in and and fix the problem? When you let the water run in the bathroom and all the water went down the hallway as you plugged the sinks up and left the faucets on? You know, that kind of thing. You knew you were in a lot of trouble. You needed somebody to come and fix the problem. Barnabas did that. And I'd like to say we're all, in a way, Barnabas's. Not in that we're Barnabases, but we really are are meteors like Jesus was. And this is what the Bible talks about, you and me being a kingdom of priests under the Most High. What did priests do? In the Old Testament, they represented the people to God and God to the people. That's what we do. People can't see God. But they can see you. And I pray that they see God in you. Because that's what causes them to say, hey, I want that peace in my life as well. So, he says, he went with them, he continued preaching, and they want to kill him. And when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarshish. They let it get out of Dodge and let the heat die down a little bit. Tarshish is where he grew up, and so he sent him back there. Then the churches throughout all of Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace, and they were edified or built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, They were multiplied. By the way, I think when people walk in the fear of the Lord, uh, God does multiply. let me explain what that is. Fear isn't chattering uh, behind your bed, biting your nails. Fear is when I realize that my lifestyle, God sees, and because God sees that, that i represent him you represent him well in a world that doesn't know him and this is where it come where it comes in to dying to your flesh you see there's a lot of things all of us can do even knowing Christ we can go out and sin we can we, i think sometimes the opportunities to sin as a christian are far greater than they were before you were a christian because the devil wants to take you out because he knows all the people through history you're going to affect with your lifestyle and your testimony and so I really believe that this is one of the things the devil does is he attacks us by trying to knock us off course. And Some of us get knocked off course pretty easy. That's where I pray and say, God, help me make the right decisions today because otherwise I'll fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, what are the lusts of the flesh? The lust of the flesh are... Lust of the flesh... Um, Enticement of the eyes and the pride of life. And those things will literally drain the life right out of you. But you know, going back to what the Bible tells us to do, when we realize we have a consciousness of God, God says, I, I want to multiply that. Multiply you and your life. So now as we go to verse 32. Now it came to pass, we leave Paul there in Tarshish for a little bit. It came to pass, as Peter went throughout all the parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints that dwell at Lydia. Now, really quick, Lydia is just right outside of modern-day Tel Aviv. Um, And so, there he found a certain man named Arrhenius, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Arrhenius, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. And he rose immediately. So all that dwelt at Lydia and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Amazing that this Knowing of who Jesus is, the power of God still alive, even though Jesus ascended to heaven, is now being manifested through people who love him. And I believe God will do that through your lives as well. At Joppa, it just goes on here and just fires off a bunch of these because it wasn't just a miracle at one place at one time. God was doing miracles and still does in our world today. At Joppa. There was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works, charitable deeds, which she did. And it happened in those days, she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room. And since Lydia was near Joppa, the disciples heard, That Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went to them. He had come and brought him to the upper room, and all the widows who stood with him were weeping, showing the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out, knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body said, Tabitha arise. She opened her eyes and saw Peter and, st- and, and sat up. Uh, by the way, I think that's pretty amazing. This is something that Jesus did concerning Jarius's daughter back in uh, the New Testament. And so it's uh, back in the Gospels. Uh, she opened her eyes and sat up. Then he gave her his hand, lifted her up. And when she had called to the saints, the widows, he presented her alive. And this became known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed on the Lord, so that they stayed many days in Joppa with Simon the Tanner. Uh, This is really weird. Simon the Tanner stayed many days with Simon the Tanner. Um, According to Levitical law, um, you couldn't, Associate with somebody that dealt with dead things. Now, a tanner takes the skin off of a dead animal. In fact, according to Levitical law, a tanner had to live 75 feet outside of town as to not contaminate the town. And in fact, being a tanner was of such deplorable employment. If you were married, you were engaged ladies, and the guy says, by the way my father is a tanner and soon as he dies I'm going to inherit the the skin business. She had a legal right to divorce him. Not something you don't usually hear about in divorce and marriage. Well, my husband is a guy in leather. I'm divorcing him. Okay, right on. <laughs> yeah. No, it's really weird how they viewed death. But now we find that, um, uh, that they stayed with this guy who was a tanner. We find that they're leaving their Levitical rules and regulations now as Christ is setting them free. And so uh, we're going to talk more about that as we, uh, as we find the Gentiles being saved uh, next week. Now, up to this point, they believed the only people that could be saved were Jews. They didn't know at this point that Jesus was for everybody. I think a lot of times we might forget that too, that Jesus is for everybody. And so, like I say, God, the Holy Spirit, has already been working on their hearts God just looks to us as kids to say, hey, hand out the invitation. And you know, you'd be really amazed how many people are just like Matthew. When Jesus said, follow me, they just laid it all on the table and walked away and followed Jesus. Or Paul, Saul, you might say, as he was uh, persecuting the church being convicted by the Holy Spirit, probably over many things. The word there is in the plural, goads, which means the pricking of the Holy Spirit. You are being prodded by the Holy Spirit on many different areas. I believe that the Holy Spirit's alive and well working in the world today. God just looks for his group to reach out and invite him in. This morning, I just want to, first of all, invite you in If you're not a Christian. Maybe you knew about God. Maybe you were raised in church. But maybe the cares of this life and things that seem to be glittery and gleamy out there, you found out weren't gold after all. And God's calling you home and saying, Hey, as a matter of fact, I want to do something brand new in your life. Today's your day to come to Christ. If you are a Christian, and you've been a little angry with God because he runs you through some things you feel or uncomfortable and if God's all powerful and he can do anything why must I suffer like this not realizing that God is preparing us for the days to come people have, I had a guy one time and remember this they say, you ever have those things that happen and it separates it's called a, a chronos and kairos if you want to know the Greek term but it's called a moment in time which separates all other time. And in that Chronos and Kairos, you've all had this happen to you. You've gone on a vacation and I've shared this before, but the roof in the tent leaks and dumps water on you. You may not remember anything else about that vacation except that. Why is that? Well, I remember I was out at Salmon Dam and I was out on the dock and I was walking by and I recognized a guy that I knew that came to church here. And I hadn't seen him for a long time. And he said, come on in. And he had one of those boats that had like a galley in it. We went down in. I remember the uh, little Coleman light. That was before LEDs, okay. It's glowing, you know. And he just began to share with me what was going on in his life. And he looked at me and he said, I said, well, those things prepare us for the days to come. And he said, Mike, the things I've gone through are so horrific. I'm scared to death of the things that are to come. I go, that's exactly right. And that's why we go through those things to prepare us. And whether, now listen, you're a Christian or not. You are going to face things in your life that you don't like. It's going to happen, friends. It's inevitable. Maybe it's the death of somebody you love close by. Or maybe it's a job or whatever. Whether you're a Christian or not, you are going to have tribulation. The tribulation, though, that Jesus speaks of is not caused by the world. It's caused by the underworld. And because of the light that's in you, Jesus Christ, the devil wants to snuff that out. So we learn from him. We're trained by him. And if I find the faith I had yesterday or the day before or today doesn't get me through, then I need to grow more deeply in love with Jesus. And so, first of all, we have those that need Christ. Second of all, we have those who are Christians that we all need to continue to let God change us. Just as God changed Saul, then God changes us each and every day. This morning, you need to call out on God. You need to call out on Jesus. He loves you. He wants you. He wants to protect you. And he wants to give you the wisdom to deal with the issues that are coming down the pipe. Friends, I believe we are in a very unstable world right now. Now when you stop to think about this, I read an article last night and they said the world's population will reach 1 uh, uh 8, excuse me, 8 billion people, based on statistics, on November 15th. That's in just about a month from today. The world will be at eight billion people. Now, when you read Revelation, and again, the, the Bible is there not to scare us, but to let us know what's happening. In the first, in the first part of the tribulation, I believe we as saints are gone. I believe God takes his church home. The Bible says his saints are not appointed to his wrath. Very clearly, the things that come on this earth in Revelation, as Jesus begins to pop the seals on the scroll and takes back the earth, the Bible says that in the very first couple of seals, one quarter of the world's population dies. That is 2 billion people. Now, friends, think about that for a minute. We talk about, well, you know, the COVID virus is, has, has killed 130 million. We really don't know because if you went in for a hangnail, it was COVID. So we know that there's a lot of problems there. But they didn't get any money from people dying of some other disease. And so no matter what it was, it was COVID. And I know personally a lady who did not die of COVID that was listed in the corner as COVID. It was not COVID at all. So we know that those numbers are dropped. But it was bad. And anybody that had it um, killed me. Um, You go, what? Yeah, I got a COVID clot. About two weeks after I had COVID, Went to my heart. I flatlined for two minutes. I just happened to be in the hospital when I died. And so, yeah, it's bad stuff. But that's only like 100, 130 million people. Two billion people, friends. Listen, there's something major coming on this earth. Jesus said this. He said, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Do you, let me ask you a question. Let me just ask you. Do you agree with God on that? Do you believe the days are evil? I do. I do. When you have senators right now back east, that proposing that if you as a parent in any way try to stop any kind of talk, desire of transgenderism, that you will be jailed. Yeah, crazy talk. Um, by health, education and welfare and child protective services. If you in any way try to stop your child from getting involved in transgenderism, you, mom and dad, will go to jail. That's how nuts your government is right now. People say, do you fear politicians? I fear those that vote these clowns in. Because when something is obvious as male and female, and they can't get it right. That scares me on everything else. Now here's the point. Redeeming the time, the days are evil. Think about what does that mean? We're not always going to be here to tell them. I believe Gabriel's getting ready to blow that trumpet. And when he does, we're out of here. So until he takes us home, Redeem the time. Let your light shine. Be about your Father's business. If you're not a Christian, today's your day. If you're a Christian, realize God wants to continue to grow you up so you'll meet the challenges of the days to come. Listen, great is your reward in heaven. If you're not a Christian this morning, you need to rededicate your life to Christ. We're going to pray right now. Let's pray. Father, I'm sorry for the way I've lived. And I repent of the foolishness of trying to define my life my way. So I accept you as my Savior today. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. His blood covered my sins. From this day forward, I want to do what you want me to do. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. So I'll have love for you, love for the lost people of the world, and a boldness to tell them about you. Write my name now in your book of life that I can spend eternity with you forever. And I love you and thank you for what you've done for me in Jesus' name. Amen.